Well, good morning, church. And uh, we bring greetings to you, and good to see each one of you here today. I have one quick announcement that I do want to make. Uh, two weeks from today is Father's Day, and um, we want to have a Father's Day breakfast on the Saturday before June 20th. Uh, two weeks from today, Father's Day is June 21st, if I have my facts correct. So June 21st is Father's Day, so on June 20th, we want to have a Father's Day breakfast. We'll pray for our families, and um, we're, uh, we're trying to secure a special speaker. Uh, and, but we'll try to have you in by 9, feed you eggs and blueberry pancakes and have you out by 10 so you have the full day before you but we'll still meet fellowship and pray for our families so that'll be june 20th to all you guys well we're bringing to you a series on the doctrine that shook the world and uh, i don't expect that we would put this out if it's the doctrine that shook the world by that I mean the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago and uh, God just uh, did a tremendous work, brought the church back to its moorings, back to the Bible. And uh, these, these truths we're presenting to you go back through the Reformation 500 years ago, back to Augustine, third, fourth century, right back, I think, to Paul and to Jesus. And so it's taking us back to our foundations and back to our moorings doctrinally. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is where we will begin today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the title here, The Effectual Call. Now this is a, a effectual is an old word. It, it basically means effective, that which is effective. And so this is what we will be looking at today. And um, uh, look at 1 Corinthians, chap- 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand a sign, and the Greeks or Gentiles seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly or silliness to Gentiles. And if you've seen any of the interviews on CNN or ever listened to Bill Maher, you'll know the kind of ridicule that they uh, give to the Christian faith. So he says to the Jews, they want signs, they want miracles, but to the Gentiles, they want, that, that to them the gospel and the crucifixion, that's just silly, uh, that we can be forgiven through the crucified Christ. But here he says... Uh, We preach, that's our proclamation, that's our message. And verse 24, to those who are called. And if you'll notice here, I put uh, in the Greek, 
the word the because it's called a definite article and uh, they tell us a definite article is like your index finger pointing at something. It's a specific group. The called ones. See, he's pointing at, and it's actually in the Greek text. I think the New American Standard Version translates it. But some of the versions leave that out. I think it's important to, especially to what I'm speaking to you on today. So he says, to those who are the called, a specific group, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He's not silly to us. To us who are the called, he is the very power of God, the wisdom of God. He's beautiful. He's wonderful. We love him. And that's what he's saying in verse 24. Verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 26, for consider, and then once again, it has a definite article, Consider the calling which is yours, brothers. The calling which you have, brothers. Verse 26. That not many of you were wise. In other words, when God called you, he didn't call a lot of wise people. Um, Any PhDs here today? See, told you. Uh, It says, uh, verse 25, or verse 26, Consider your calling, the calling which you receive, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many are powerful. Not many are of noble birth. Amen? Any Rockefellers here today? Any Kennedys? Any, I don't know who else is famous. Whatever. Um, but, verse 27, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak. Any weak? Amen. Now you're getting qualified. God chose what is despised in the world. Amen. Even things that are nothing, are, are, you're not anybody. You're a nobody. Amen. Now I'm talking to my congregation today. <laughs> now we're qualified to bring to nothing things that are something or think they're something. Verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The, the idea of being the called, he mentions it here in verse 24, to those who are the called... And again in verse 26, consider the calling, which is yours, who it came to. This is the primary word that I want us to ferret out this morning in the New Testament. And uh, and I might just begin by pointing out that, you know, the, the Greek word for church is actually ekklesia, ek and kaleo, or klesia, which means to call, and then ek is out of. So the church, the very definition of the church is those who are the called out. So to be called means that you're called out of the world into a community of people who believe in the, that Jesus is wonderful. 
He's the Messiah, and we put our faith and love in him. The called, in verse 24, then, are drawn especially to Christ. Those who are the called, Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and wisdom of God. Christ is wonderful. Christ is Savior. He's Lord. He's glorious. The called have as the common denominator an attraction to Jesus Christ. And then you'll notice in verse 26 um, that there is a kind of synonymous phrase that is used here. Look at verse 27. But God chose, after he says, consider your, the calling, which is yours, verse 26, then he turns and says in verse 27, but God chose what is foolish. Verse uh, 27, God chose what is weak. In verse 28, God chose what is low and despised. Amen? Uh, there's a lot of emphasis today on my choosing God. Well, when Paul describes it, he describes it as God choosing you. And if y'all don't mind, I'm going to stick with Scripture here. Amen? Let's just stay with it here. Let the Word speak, whatever it disrupts in our ideas of God. And we, and we need to be challenged on some of the things we just pick up by osmosis through life. Because if these doctrines shook the world, you know, they ought to shake us a little bit too. Amen? So here's God chose... God chose, God chose three times it says that. And ends with, um, so that no man, verse 29, would boast in the presence of God. In other words, God takes the initiative, God calls, and God draws you to Christ. So they are the chosen of God. Romans 9.23 puts it like this, to make known the riches of his glory on vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called. Notice, he prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not the Jews only, but also Gentiles. Well, I'm glad he put that in there. It's, it's the same thing as saying not Jews only, but also the hillbillies in Tennessee. Hallelujah. And then uh, he concludes it by saying, God did this so that, verse 29, no human being can boast in his presence because of him are you in Christ Jesus. He is the one who is the actor and the, we are the acted upon. So what we have here, as you look at this passage and in the New Testament, you will have two callings two kinds of callings. And let's put these up here and talk about this for just a minute. The first one we would call, we would designate as a universal call. A general calling that goes out to all men. I'll give you a couple of examples of this. 
Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 13 and 9, and he says the sower goes out to sow the word, and, and he sows it all uh, over all kinds of soil. And it's, it's obvious that he's not discriminating here about the kinds of soil. He's just sowing it all, all kinds of soil, hard, thorny, every kind. Then he says, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. It's an indiscriminate invitation. If you, if you can hear it, you can receive it, there it is. He also mentions it in Romans 10.21, where he says, of Israel, he says, all day long... I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now that is a general outward appeal to all of Israel, he says. They are disobedient and all day long I I said, come, that's an invitation. All men, all Israel, come to me, come to me, God says. That is the general call. It is outward. But there is another calling that we call, we designate the effectual or the effective or the inward and spiritual call. It is when God doesn't just call through a man, but God by his power speaks to you. Amen? And it's inward and it's secret, and we don't know who it's going to. Uh, here's a couple of examples. Well, the, uh, one example is right here in 1 Corinthians 1. To the world, they are called, but it's an outward call. But to those who are the called, that is, we, there's, a, there's a group that is the called. Now, that's a different calling. It's not outward and general and in, ineffective, but it is inward, and it is powerful, and it actually produces the faith and love that it calls us to. It's like God, uh, in Genesis 1-1, he said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, come, and we come. That's the effectual call. Let me give you a verse in... Uh, Romans 8, 30 and 31. Here's an example of an effectual or effective inward call. Look at, uh, give me that, Romans 8, 30. Those whom he... Predestined. He also... (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm being stupid. Do y'all see the word predestined? Is it all right if in the church of Jesus Christ we use a biblical word? Can I get an amen? It's in the Bible. It's in black and white, or in this case, uh, brown and white. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Hallelujah. And then look what happened when he called them. He also justified. In other words, they got the gift of righteousness, justification before God. See, that's an effectual call. That's a, that's a group 
where the call went beyond an outward invitation to an inward spiritual renewal accompanying the call. Let me, uh, oh, by the way, in whom he justified, he also glorified. If he can do that much, he can do the rest of it, so he just puts it down as done. <laughs> Hallelujah. So what can we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. I said, Hallelujah. Y'all are a little slow today. Well, it is you are weak and foolish, according to 1 Corinthians 1, so I'm going with that. But look at the word predestined. Let me, let me say just a word here of, of explanation and get further into the pit with which I am dug. Here it says, he, whom he predestined, he also called. The Greek word to predestine or destine is the word horizo. Horizo. And you know the word horizon. We get the word horizon from that. It means like uh, that which is surrounding you, the circle. Uh, the word horizo is used in uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 13, and translated as border the territory. Uh, Jesus and his disciples left the territory or the borders, the coastland, the, the boundary lines. Now, the word there for border or territory is the word horizo. And what it, it comes from the idea of that which is all the way around you. It's, a, it's like the boundary markers all the way around you. And what he's saying is, uh, you put the little word pro, the prefix pro, and God pre or beforehand destined, put a, a marker around you, put boundaries around you, and this happened before he called you. you you're not, he predestined you before he called you. You see that? And then he justified you. See, I, I, I talk to uh, men uh, over the years and they've tell, told me these stories about how God was with them and they weren't even thinking about God. One, one man in the Vietnam War, for example, told me uh, of when he, he was in a foxhole and the enemy threw in like a hand grenade or something and, and there was about six or seven of them and the hand grenade went off, killed everybody in the foxhole, but he emerged unscathed. And he said, I didn't pray to God. I wasn't talking to God. See, the truth is, if, you're, if God doesn't put a boundary marker around you, you'll never make it to the point where he calls you. When he predestines you, he preserves you, he saves you unto that day that he saves you. Hallelujah. So he is keeping you, he's got his eye upon you, he's got his hand upon you, and you don't even know it. And then one day, somebody says, hey, go to church with me, and, I, and you haven't even given God a thought, and you go and you hear the gospel, and as you hear the word of God taught or preached, he speaks to your heart, and you think, I want to follow Jesus. And he justifies you. 
You put your faith in the Son of God and you are declared righteous and acquitted in the courts of God. And if God be for us like this, who can be against us? Are we afraid of the devil now? If the devil could have killed you before you were a Christian, he would have done so. God had you preserved and marked out. You were already in his territory. (laughs) So there is a calling that is universal. Here is a calling that is actually internal and effective and powerful so that it obtains the response to which it calls us. Let me give you some biblical examples of the effectual call. The disciples, give me uh, Matthew 4, 18. Uh, Walking by the Sea of Galilee, it says Jesus saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. I mean, you have to think about that. Who does that? I was raised on a farm and I've seen my uncles and my grandparents and I've seen them working in the middle of the day and it's hot and they're focused and they're sweaty and some guy comes along and he says, follow me. They're not going to give him a second thought. I got stuff to do here, bud. Sorry. We're busy. No, these men recognized in the voice of Jesus an authority and a dignity and a majesty beyond anything they have heard before. And they respond to that. They walk off and leave their nets and fishing boats right there. And then it says, verse 21, going from there he saw two other brothers, James and John, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. They were mending nets and he called them. Immediately they, they left the boat and their father and just followed him. That's an effectual call. Amen? You just turn around and walk away and leave everybody behind, including the work you're doing right in the middle of it? That's an effectual call. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. The, the calling of Matthew. This is, this is very uh, amazing because... Jesus is passing from there, saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth. This is in, if I'm not mistaken, Capernaum. Matthew would have heard of Jesus. No effect on him. But it says that he was sitting at the tax booth. Where This is where uh, a publican, not a republican, but a publican, a tax collector, would receive tax money. And as he's sitting there, he's collecting his money. Now, a... Uh, 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 the commentaries tell you that a tax collector was the most despised among the Jews because he was a traitor for one thing. He would agree with the Romans, the occupying Romans, the amount of money he would pay them and collect for them and anything he could get above that was his to keep. So they looked on him as a traitor, not just an IRS agent. This guy is, is the local definition of the mafia and he is taking Roman soldiers. He's collecting pretty much whatever he wants to collect. So he's there sitting, taking the money. Jesus walks up to him, pauses momentarily, and says, Matthew, follow me. And it says 
that he rose, Anastasia. Stasia, it means to be resurrected, to be raised up. It's used three other times, two of those times is resurrection. Jesus raised up a dead person. Stasia. Anna, up. Stasia, raise. Matthew was raised up and he followed Jesus. So the idea here with these disciples is that they were called with a power inherent in the spoken words. You also find it in the Apostle Paul in Acts 9.3. He came near Damascus to arrest Christians, to persecute the church. Suddenly there was a light shining on him, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, which is his pre-conversion name, Why are you persecuting me? And Jesus called him by name. Acts 22, 9, Paul says that those who were with me saw the light but heard not the voice. Those who were with me saw the same light I saw, but they did not hear the voice. Why? It's not the effectual call. The call, the effectual call, went to the Apostle Paul. In fact, Acts, 22, Acts 26, 14 says that for Paul, Jesus spoke it in Hebrew. In other words, he spoke the language Paul would most likely respond to. Jesus knows how to speak so that we will listen and obey, and he gets our attention. Turn to... Uh, uh, Matthew 13. Do we have this? Matthew 13, 45. This is something that uh, I was looking at recently. I, here's, what, here's what these people felt. Let me just give you this. The, uh, what we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 1, the calling where we see Jesus is valuable, the calling where the disciples dropped their nets and followed him, the calling where with Paul said, look, I not only saw the light, I heard the voice and suddenly made an about face and began to follow him. What do they see? What is it about? The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of pearls who on finding one pearl, one special pearl, this is it. The Greek word is margarita. Yeah. I'm telling you the truth. I didn't make this up. I was surprised myself. The Greek word for pearl is margarita. I saw, uh, and, and by the way, you know, um, when you see it like this, it is intoxicating. Amen? It's a couple of bolts of uh, tequila. Oh, yeah. From one who knows. All right? I know what the tequila is like. Or is it tequila? I forget now which. But I'm kidding you. I'm kidding you. Um, hey, let's have a good time this morning. Amen? Let's have fun today with God's Word. We're, we've been justified. We've been given His Holy Spirit. We've been chosen by Him. Let's celebrate and, ha- and say hallelujah and, uh, and just enjoy feasting on God's Word. And let me tell you, when you find the pearl, the kingdom, Jesus and His people, and you understand the eternality of it and the privilege of it and the glory of it, it's like a stiff drink. And you know what church is on Sunday morning? This is a happy hour. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And y'all are here to get high. Amen. As somebody said, they ain't no high like the most high. 
<laughs> Amen. He sold all he had and bought it. They left everything and followed. So this is something that, that they sensed in them. This is the pearl of great price. This is more valuable than anything. This is intoxicating to me. I will give up all for that. That's the internal call. That's the internal call. Hallelujah. So here's a summary. There are two identifiable calls in the New Testament. One is universal, goes out to all men. We're to preach the gospel to every creature. But one is specific by the Spirit where He calls. Not we call only, but through our call, He calls. And it is inward, and it is spiritual, and it is intoxicating, and it produces, it elicits the faith and love in Christ so that, here's the way this helps us. I mean, let's do this. Give me the next one up. How does this help us? One, it means we're to call everyone, but we don't save anyone. Amen? We're to call everyone, we don't save everyone, or we don't save anyone. That comes from a saving call on the inside. Two, it means that if you refuse to come, you should know that you are called. You've been called. Therefore, you have no one to blame but yourself. But if you do come, you are called outwardly and inwardly, and that call produced faith and love, and you have no one to praise but God. See how that cuts both ways? You've been called. The outward call comes to all men. You don't want to come. You say, well, I want to be called inwardly. If you say that, you have been called inwardly. Because <laughs> I want to, there it is. But if you say, that's silly, that's ridiculous. The call is there and you have no one, there is no blame that goes to God or the church. You have no one to blame but yourself. But if you do hear and feel that intoxicating passion to come to Christ and you worship Him, then I tell you, you have no one to praise but God and His grace. The other way it helps us is that it honors Christ. It presents a glorious Christ. And I, I think we are in danger today, if not actually done it, of presenting a weak, even in some cases a pathetic Christ, who's like standing, begging, Pleading, please, please. This is not the Jesus of the New Testament. Do you want the Jesus of the New Testament? He walks up to the grave of Lazarus in John 11 and says, Lazarus, come forth. He's been dead three days. He stinks. And out he comes. He didn't lay in the grave and say, I don't want to come. I don't want to. I don't feel like it. I'm dead. I got all these grave clothes and I'm comfortable. I've been here three days. It's, you know, 
No, the word of Jesus cuts across the resistance, the apathy and of the will and the hostility and enmity of the heart. It cuts through all that and it walks into your life and brings you out of your deadness. Somebody said Jesus didn't come to make good, bad men better. He, made, he came to make dead men live. Hallelujah. But this is, this is the Jesus of the New Testament. He speaks to the wind and the waves. And what do they do? They don't get together and vote, well, are we going to do this or not? No. He commands the wind and waves, be still. Boy, they settle right down. He commands the demons to emerge and come forth. And demons don't put up a fight and say, I don't want to do that. They come out. Some of them come out kicking and screaming, but they all come out. Because he has all authority in heaven and earth, Matthew 28, 18. See, this is the majesty of the Jesus. This is the dignity of the Son of God that we need to put forward in front of people. And we need to tell people, you need to quit treating this Messiah, this Son of God, as if he's a weak, namby-pamby person just hoping that somehow you will toss him a bit of your attention. Amen. Thank both of you. See me afterwards and I'll flip you the $20 that I've got for you. But I, in my heart, there is a desire to honor His name. In, in Luke 9.43, Jesus comes down off the mountain and the father had the little boy and, Jesus, and they couldn't cast the demons out. And Jesus walks up and the father says, if you can do anything, please help me. Jesus said, bring him here to me. And he cast the demon out. And then here's what it says at Luke 9.43. And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. Amen. The majesty. Now I know that, uh, that sometimes you have, you have this picture. That Jesus stands at the heart of your door and knocks. And I even had a picture one time where he was knocking and it was raining outside, and Jesus was getting drenched, and, and they were said, don't do this to Jesus. It's rain, you know, and they were trying to say, open your heart's door. Let me tell you something about Jesus. He can walk through doors. He, can, he has the key to your heart. It says in Acts 16, 14, Paul went to preach, and there was Lydia... And it says that the Lord, when Paul was preaching, the Lord opened her heart. Hallelujah. He does not need your permission to forgive your sins and change your life. He obtains it by a divine fiat, a call and a decree that comes from the throne of God and no demon, no disease, no death, no nothing, and especially the weak will of man can ever stop God from exercising His sovereignty in the earth. Hallelujah. (laughs) My man... So, 
Give me Galatians 1, 13 to 16 here. This is Paul's testimony. You have heard of my life in time past in the Jews' religion. By the way, notice how he refers to what he once was. He doesn't even say my past religion. He says it's the Jews' religion. Whoa. Way to go, Paul. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and I wasted it. But when... Oh man, this is so full. First of all, notice right there, when. When it pleased God. That's when God saved Paul. I'll tell you something, it would have pleased the early church if God had saved him a whole lot earlier. But it didn't please God. When God's effectual call comes not only to whom He chooses, but when He chooses. When it pleased God, that's the King James Version, who separated me, and there again, horizo, put the boundaries around me. And look at this, from my mother's womb. Paul had been separated to God, protected. He was in God's territory, even when he was persecuting the church and doing his worst. Oh, that's a God I want to worship. It's not outside His control, people. It's in His sovereign, predestining, wise control and enthronement over all things, including our resistance. But when it pleased God, who had put a circle around me, horizo, from my mother's womb... And then what? And called me. See, the calling comes after the predestination. Then he called me. How? What was it? Was it something in Paul that caused it? It was by grace. Just grace. There's no explanation. Don't say God saw my faith. No, he produced your faith. He's the author and finisher of our faith. It's just grace. Grace alone. So that, again, 1 Corinthians 1, that no man may boast in the presence of God. You're not going to get to heaven and say, oh, hallelujah, to Jesus the Lamb and to me. Hallelujah. No, it's not going to happen. Amazing grace and willpower. Hallelujah. Nope. It's not in there. He called me by His grace, and then He revealed what? The Son. Oh, now I see Jesus. I get it now. I love Him. <laughs> love Him. He's the Messiah. See, this is what Paul felt. That's for, again, 1 Corinthians 1. Is that those who are the called, which Paul was one, they see Jesus as the power of God and the wisdom of God. Amen. So they boast in God alone. Here's some questions for you real quick. Do you feel that you need Jesus today? Well, if you do, if you feel like you're a sinner, you feel like you're a failure, you feel like that you can't make it, you feel like that to commit to Him, you're too weak, weak, that you're nobody, 
Luke 5.30, He came not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Hallelujah. That's the call. It goes to those who feel the need, the weight. Do you believe Jesus is the Messiah? 1 John 5.1 Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, Messiah, which means Messiah, has been born. Life has already come. Or else faith wouldn't have expressed itself. Uh, that's the English Standard Version. And, they get, and there's no ambiguity in the Greek there. Whoever believes in Jesus, Christ, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, predicted in the Old Testament, has been born of God. Does Jesus Christ seem wonderful to you? Is he the power of God and the wisdom of God? Do you stand in adoration of him? And your greatest grief in life is to grieve him. Have you sat in a service under the preaching of the gospel and the opening up of the word of God and felt that he spoke to you? That John 10, 3, my sheep hear my voice and I call them by name and I lead them out. You felt that? Then you're, you give evidence of being chosen of God. There's a story comes out of World War II that when World War II came to an end, the whole world celebrated. Hitler and his henchmen were defeated. The Japanese Imperial Army was destroyed. The atom bombs reduced their will to zero to fight. And on the day of Japanese surrender, which was September 2nd, 1945, in Tokyo Bay on the USS Missouri, American bombers, it's, it, is, it is said that American bombers, thousands of them, flew over Tokyo Bay on that day, September 2nd, 1945. And the air power was so awesome, they blotted out the sun. That you, you just couldn't, the light. They had these, and the Japanese are shorter, and the Americans stood and they were like almost, MacArthur was like six foot something. And there was one guy named Hirao Onada who did not surrender because he didn't believe it. He fought... For another 29 years in the Philippine jungles. This is, uh, and did not surrender till 1974. <laughs> I mean, 29 years. And they would drop these pamphlets, you know, and he would pick them up and read them. And he said, it's propaganda. They sent family members that found him hiding in the caves of the Philippines. And the family members came back shaking their head. He doesn't believe me. He can't believe the war's over. He's not surrendering. He said, it's a ploy. Do you know how they finally got him out? 
they, in 1974, they finally decided, get his commanding officer to go to the Philippines. This, is this old, bent-over Japanese major that was in World War II, and take him over there, let him let, find, find the guy, and then take the major up to him and say, put down your weapons. The war is over. <laughs> and give me, give me the next one. Uh, this is him turning in his sword. The major came to him and said, it's time for you to come home. Take the bullets out of your gun. Turn in your sword. And he obeyed because he recognized the authority of his commanding officer. Now, I want to tell you all something. You're praying for some people. You're, you're, you're giving up on some people. There's some people who seem too far, too hard. I want to tell you, family members have come. You put tracks in their hands. I want to tell you something. When the commanding officer comes to them and speaks to them, they will recognize the authority and dignity of the Son of God and they will respond in faith and love. Don't give up. Don't quit preaching. Don't quit teaching. Don't quit spreading the gospel because the power of the Son of God, the commanding officer will come and they will surrender the sword that they have used against him. They will give up to Jesus and Jesus only. I'm telling you. So we continue our hope and we continue our faith and we continue our appeal. Trusting Jesus through us to speak that definite word to them. Hallelujah to God.